0: Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by Parent Sense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host Meg Forer is a well-known OT infant specialist and the author of eight parenting books. Each week we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parents Sense app, and catch here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host.
1: Welcome back, mums and dads. I am always delighted to be here each week with you. And as you know, some weeks we spend time chatting to new mums. We often chat to Cassidy and have been watching her journey with little Max. And then other times we have Bailey Georgiadis asking me a whole lot of questions that you've sent through, which of course the sessions I absolutely love. And we did one, Earlier this year on picky eating. But now, today, I have got the real expert, and that is Kath McGall. She's a pediatric dietitian. She works daily with mums with picky eaters, and she's my go to person for all things feeding. She's also the dietary expert on the app. She feeds into all of the questions and makes sure that the information we give you on infant feeding is absolutely accurate and up with the latest science. And so I'm really, really delighted to welcome Kath to join us here today. Welcome, Kath. Thanks so much, Meg. For me too. Kath, I think just for the purposes of the audience, could you just give us a tiny little background on, on your education? I know you were at John Hopkins University, your kids and your practice. Yeah, so I qualified in '95
2: and did that in South Africa and then had an absolute passion to move into pediatrics. Unfortunately, there wasn't any way in South Africa to further my knowledge. So I applied for a fellowship overseas and then got accepted at Johns Hopkins and studied further in pediatric dietetics. They qualified me as a pediatric dietitian. Um, Came back to South Africa and started probably one of the first pediatric dietetic practices in the country and then went on and had my own children and realized I actually didn't know much at all. (laughs) So putting the theory into practice took on a whole new meaning when I had my own children and feeding my own kids of which I've got Joshua who's now 23, Teagues is 19 and my youngest is 16. So they have really challenged me in all my thoughts and ideas, with my 23-year-old being my picky eater. So he's uh-huh. kind of the poster child for picky eating. <laughs> and today I can say he really has a good, healthy attitude about food. Still a bit sensory when it comes to food that I would say is able to eat very comfortably dirty of your food. So he really taught me a lot on my journey, and he's always my picture of hope for moms who really are struggling.
1: That's so interesting, Kath. I mean, our children are the same age and my firstborn was also my picky eater. Although um, while Josh's story has to do with his own sensory personality, mine had to do with my personal journey with actually wanting control and how that played out in mealtimes. And so it's really interesting because there can be a myriad of reasons why little ones become picky or are defined as picky. And I think before we get into those reasons, you know, I think picky eating has become an absolute buzzword in the media. I mean, it's all over the place. You go and Google picky eating, every other baby's a picky eater. And I guess there is picky eating as the media defines it. And then there's probably picky eating when a dietitian would become concerned. Would you just kind of sketch the picture and the kind of continuum between those two for us? I think that's such a brilliant point to start with because there are There's actually
2: no one standard definition of picky eating that all professionals agree on. And that makes it also so difficult because what one healthcare professional would deem a child picky eating and another is quite different. And then what a mother deems her child picky eating. So when they did a survey amongst a group of children, just fairly recently done, and they took, it was about a thousand children across the UK and they did a survey as to How many were deemed picky eating? 80% of those children were deemed to be picky eaters by their moms. And that same group of children, only 40% were deemed picky eaters by the healthcare professionals. So there was a great discrepancy between a mom saying, My child's a picky eater, and the healthcare professional being concerned about the child's (coughs) eating behavior. My thoughts is that if a mother is concerned that her child is a picky eater and sees it as a potential problem or roadblock for healthy feeding, It is a concern and whether we see it on the top end of the spectrum of risk for weight loss, malnutrition, poor growth, et cetera, or whether we don't and the child we see seemingly seems to be thriving and healthy, if the mother deems it as picky eating as a concern, it is a concern and it is something that we need to help mom address. Mm, and I feel very strongly about that.
1: Absolutely, because even on the thin end of the wedge, it causes so much anxiety for mums that if we can give them strategies to cope and to increase their little ones' repertoire, we're just going in the right direction. Yeah. And I think one of
2: the things that we have seen an escalation in the amount of parents perceiving their children are picky eaters is that they are measuring their children against much wider groups of children than what moms were doing in the past. So in the past, they would really measure their children just against the mom and truck group or the mom and babe group or the little social group that they would interact with or the antenatal group. Now, the moms are measuring it against children across the world over social media on big social media platforms and groups, which has got so much wider. So there's a lot more noise and information out there than, for example, when you and I were first having our children. So the standards by which moms are measuring where their children should be at in the eating journey has changed a lot, and their expectations has changed a lot, which is one of the areas I actually start with when working with the mom with picky eating is to first and foremost, to establish what her expectations are that her child should be doing at this stage with eating, whether it's feeding themselves, whether it's eating every single fruit and vegetable, chewing through a piece of steak, whether, you know, what is it that she's wanting her child to do that she perceives her child is not doing? And that's normally my starting point when I I start helping them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So when you talk about these kind of individual ages and stages, are there ages where we do see little ones becoming classically more picky and then kind of moving through it? Like are they kind of those those kind of little patches that really they're at risk more, more so for picky eating?
2: Yes. Yeah, so if you look across the ages and you look even back to when we were growing up, around about the age between 18 months and three years old was that picky eating age group. And it's normally when the child starts toddling around and starts walking And there's a very specific reason why children are more cautious around food. To the old, old, old dark ages where we had to be protective and protect our bodies. And so suddenly when they're babies, they don't need to protect themselves. The moms, they're protecting them. But as they are basically getting older, their taste buds, the bitter taste buds, increase the number in their mouth. And they therefore taste that bitter oils, which are mostly present in vegetables and plants. And so that is why they often go off the green plants and veggies. And it's actually there to protect them. Now, we know they're not going to die from broccoli, but they might look like they're going to die from eating broccoli. And that is just instinctively that taste. And so taste by training becomes really important in this age group. But it's very difficult to do it when they visually look and perceive that broccoli as bitter. Whereas they, when they were a baby, they tasted the sweetness of the broccoli. They didn't taste the bitterness. And that's why moms will say, but they ate everything. And then they suddenly don't. And so that's one, of, that's one of the physiological reasons. And a more psychological, emotional reason is that they are now developing the ego, a self. Who am I? I actually have control a bit of my world. And the biggest area of control they have is how much food they're actually going to ingest because that is their full autonomy. They can't really decide when they're going to go to bed. They can't really decide about all the other things and they do push the boundaries in everything. But the one area that they can be quite successful in pushing the boundary is in food. And then of course, as moms and dads, we get very anxious and that and we kind of show them how important food is, and that just makes it seem like an even soft a bigger target for them to to go for. So that's why around that age group you do find that there is this exponential increase in picky eating and
1: why we need to start to put certain things into place around that age group. So that's fascinating. So the one big stage then when we can expect picky eating is in those toddler years, at 18 18 months to three years old that you mentioned, and it has to do with our taste buds and it has to do with control issues. Is there another age and stage where we see an increase in picky eating or is it really just a toddler thing? I mean, is there a time at around nine months or somewhere between six and 12 months where mums can see picky eating arise or is it really a toddler issue? So I
2: am actually, interestingly enough, seen it a bit early then in previous years and decades maybe and there's various thoughts that I have around this I think the anxiety that mom comes to the table with or dad comes to the table with definitely can play a role so and and this is a, something I'm really bringing more and more into when I give talks and and when I consult is to just ask parents to be aware and mindful of what environment they are creating around food. Because without even knowing it or realizing it, the more anxiety or busyness or activity around the feeding time, it can detract and make feeding seemingly more unpleasant for the child. And if all of us, anything that's pleasant, we want to go towards, something that's unpleasant, we move away from. And so I think it's really important when it comes to eating that there's got to be a motivation and a reason why a child would want to eat. So that can then have an impact earlier than 18 months in the child's environment possibly. And then because I think it's also really important, we've given a, a age group range, but I think some children can develop those taste buds and be more sensitive to those taste buds earlier on, seen their different sensory personalities, as you and I discuss often, can have a huge impact as well as to the pickiness and the choosiness around foods. And so we mustn't discount that early feeding. And I think different children respond to different methods of introducing solids. And so if we haven't Quite understood our child and and what works for them it might come across that they've been picky meanwhile they just need a different way of
1: actually being introduced to food if you enjoy my podcast i would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you the honest hour christina mazarek is mom to two boys and a third little boy on the way She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa since 2008 and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest Hour. So we've kind of got these um, ages and stages where we tend to see picky eating. You've touched very nicely on what can contribute to or cause picky eating. And we've spoken about the bitterness taste buds coming out. We have spoken about pushing boundaries in the toddler years. You have now alluded to the sensory personalities You mentioned something interesting there around the way in which children were weaned. And I think there is that plus other impacts on the likelihood of picky eating. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so I think in the past, you know, we've gone through huge different um, stages, uh, ways of weaning children over the years, from the age that we wean children to how we wean children We settled for many, many years on a very professional-led approach where we would kind of decide on the amount of food, puree it up, give spoonfuls of it to then kind of a kickback to that approach, which was the baby-led weaning approach where basically no food is mashed, no food is measured. Babies kind of just are free to choose and eat how and what they are, what foods they're exposed to. And both hold value and both hold risks. And I think that's very important. And I think bringing the two pr- approaches together where there's elements of order is quite helpful, but at the same time, a level of autonomy where the child can explore food because that's what food is about. And I actually, when when we encourage parents and they start in their weaning journey, I encourage them to start off with exploration, Before we get to the very, very standard approach of, okay, starting with this meal, the next meal. So just let your child be around food. Give your child a taste, a lick of your apple, mush a bit of the butternut and pop it in their mouth. Let them just smell the food that's going on in the home. If you are sitting eating, let them sit on your lap with you, see what's going on. And remembering that it's a skill. So feeding is a skill that needs to be learned. And the more they're around watching you eat and watching you feed yourself, the better they're going to be at learning that skill themselves. And I think the professional-led approach had a very much isolated feeling. You pop the child in a high chair separate from you. The only person eating in the house is the child at that time. And you've got this closed bowl, which they can't see the contents of, and you feed in it. And that approach has many risks to it in that it's disengaging the social impact of food. The child can't mimic you eating because they're not watching you eat. So they're not learning from you with that skill. And the child is not able to participate and see. So if you've got a child that's a bit more hesitant, as we call them, the slow to warm up child, they're not sure, can they trust what you feed in? Because they don't see you eating it, you know? If you've got a child that wants to engage you socially, like a little social butterfly they can't they can't engage in a in a joint eating. There's nothing worse than going out with a friend and you said you want breakfast and then the other person doesn't want and you end up eating that on your own and you're the only person eating at the table. And it's not fun. It's much more fun if you all engage in eating together. And and for children, majority of them, that is exactly the case. So I think it's very important that the feeding environment, whatever you're more comfortable with, if you like a bit more ordered approach or if you like a bit more relaxed approach, that you have your child engaged, whatever way your child needs to be engaged. And like we often speak about the two bowl approach where the child can participate in the feeding, either through touching the food, having the food on their little tray or having the food in front of them if they're sitting on your lap and you feed in at the same time. Very much a joint a joint thing with them feeding you eating is so, so important when it comes to weaning and to set up a happy time. I really am encouraging parents to make feeding as this is a time of connection. This is a time of interaction between me and you. And I think if we make feeding more and more about that, we're going to find that the picky eating is going to become less and less over time, especially the picky eaters that aren't from a medical point of view. You know, I'm not talking about those children that have had tragic hospitalizations and were born prematurely or, or have certain disabilities that they aren't able to feed. I'm talking re- about a child who has been developing, had a general normal journey, but just come in with this pickiness. And so having, having an environment where they look forward to mealtime is wonderful. And you often find in the toddler years, This this sibling has come along. And so now the feeding can be one of two things. The feeding could bring attention to the toddler by being picky and difficult. And so they get the attention they feel that they've lost because of the new sibling. Or it could be a time, and this is where I really say to moms and dads use this as a time. Rather, where it can be where that's your toddler's time, where they can connect with you fully and engage with you fully, so that they look forward to meal times because that's when they get your attention because it's positive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, Kath, I think you've mentioned something very important there, that the weaning journey has a very massive impact on whether or not a child will end up being picky eater, a picky eater as well. And I'd like to mention at this point that Kath has a course called Weaning Sense, which is inside the Parent Sense app. So if you pop onto your Parent Sense app, whether you're on the freemium version or on the paid for version, the courses button is there. And have a look in there and you'll find the Weaning Sense course. Now, today we're going to be doing a discount for all of cat's courses of 25%. You just have to use the voucher code CATHPODCAST25. Um, that's all caps. Kath Podcast 25, and you can use it on Kath's Weaning Sense course, and you can also use it on Kath's Picky Eating course, which is coming into the app shortly, probably by the time this podcast goes live, it'll be in the app. So um, do go and and have a look at that, mums and dads, because there's just a, a wealth of information. So Kath, having spoken a little bit about why it happens, the typical ages and what it is... I think it's time now to go ahead and have a look at what we need to do about it because that's actually really what everyone wants to know. I mean, our mums who feel like they've got picky eaters just want to know what they can do. So let's have a look at a couple of different types. One of the classic picky eating and probably maybe the most common picky eating that I come across are the beige diet babies or the white diet babies who just get very stuck on fried food, processed carbohydrates and dairy. So all of our beige and white foods. And we see that so commonly. Um, what would you be saying to a mom who has got her little one stuck in a beige diet? Often with those children where
2: they've kind of devoided most of the protein and veggies and all the colors, as you say, which is all the veggies and fruit. There's often at that point, depending how long it's gone on for, there could be a few deficiencies. So I always say, let's start with doing a little bit of nutritional rehabilitation, because if you break your leg, you might need crutches for a while before we can do get you walking and remove the crutch. So the crutch might be given a bit of a nutritional supplement, given a good multivitamin, and you will use that for a period of time. It's not forever in a day, but you're going to use that to restore the micronutrients that actually have been missing over a period of time because the body is very interesting. And I think it's a survival mechanism where the body doesn't get something and eventually it just says, okay, I'm not going to plan on it. So I'm not going to ask for it. I'm just not going to get it. And so there becomes this lack, almost apathy towards choosing foods and that that are what the body's actually needing. So we actually need to give that nutrition. And then when you start to remove it, the body actually wants it. So that's kind of the nutritional rehab just to restore that. The other thing that's really important is on those diets, have a look at how much sugary foods and refined carbohydrates you're giving and start to switch those over and I think what we need to remember is that we are empowered as parents we do actually have a lot of say in what comes into our homes we have a choice when we go to the shop we we can make wise decisions and don't be scared of them don't be scared of making those wiser choices with regards to less refined foods less sugar less fried because children, they will push the boundaries, but eventually they will give in to needing to eat. And that's why I like to have the nutritional supplements often on board to give at the end of a day. And that could be like a milky drink wherever you are in the world. In all the countries, there will be some form of good pediatric nutritional supplement that you can use. And that's nice to give at the end of the day because it gives me peace of mind that if I'm going to put down some boundaries, and maybe my child's going to hunger strike a little bit, I will end the day with a good nutrition intake and they will be meeting their micronutrients. So I can give it a few days. And eventually you'll see if if you are consistent and your child realizes you're serious about it, they will start to, and you start to create the happy environment that we've spoken about they will start to want to engage and try some things new. Now, I'm not talking about putting a whole plate of broccoli and all the veggies in there. But what I'm talking about is creating first start, but just making healthy choices of the current foods that they do like. So, for example, if they only eat white bread, choose a healthier version of bread that they can start eating. If you were using a peanut butter, for example, that had sugar in, change it to peanut butter without sugar in. If they are often, a child who's a picky eater will be very happy to eat a range of sweets and chips and chocolates. So cut out those treats altogether. And I'm really serious about that because it's not going to be, you're not going to be depriving them. You're actually going to be benefiting them by doing that. Because a recent study that came out of John Hopkins showed that by removing sh- artificial sugars and refined sugars from a child's diet led them to actually seek out fruit. Hmm. And they started to go towards the fruit bar. It was a phenomenal study with a large group. There were 4,000 families. And they actually saw an amazing result across the board of them going for sweeter veggies and fruit from children who were not eating fruits and veggies. So because our bodies, need, our bodies need sweetness, we all do. But if we can get it in a form of a chocolate versus broccoli, hey, who's going to not choose the chocolate? Now, remember for a child, they cannot distinguish the value of broccoli over chocolate So it's like me saying to you, Meg, if you eat broccoli or you eat this piece of chocolate, you'll get the same amount of calories. They're both calorie free. They both have the same nutrition. They're both going to do the same thing to your body. You're going to choose possibly the chocolate unless you absolutely love broccoli. But you know what I'm saying? In their mind, there's no differentiation between food. So they are making the choice based purely on taste. And and safety and security, what they know. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that this advice is very much for that healthy neurotypical picky eater child, and and they definitely will take on trying out different fruits and sweeter things that are more natural if you're removing those other options from them in the beginning, especially while you transition them onto a healthier diet. So set the boundaries, make food fun. Remember, your responsibility is. When they're going to eat, it's going to be where. So you're going to decide on the the environment. Are we going to do a little picnic? Are we going to do sitting at the table? What I'm going to feed you, you're going to set them up to win. So start with the familiar foods and then have available a new food or food you would like them to have tried or food you knew that they ate in the past. So you know that they had a taste for it and try those again. And then you, what they're going to eat in that meal then and how much will be totally up to them. So you won't be force feeding them, but you also won't be doing short order cooking. So if they don't like what you presented them with, you are not going to go back into the kitchen and make another meal because then you are basically being their short order cook and that's not sending them a, a good message. And know that they've got opportunities in the day to eat. So give them at least six opportunities to eat. And equally so, give them equal opportunities of not eating. When you and them engage not eating. So do something outside of food with them. Mm -hmm. So that their relationship is not entirely based on you trying to feed them. But you just engaging with them in other areas. And that is really, really important.
0: This episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting.
1: So I really love what you said, Kath, and I've kind of broken down what you've said into three stages or three phases of this. The first phase that I heard you say is you've got to Absolutely, instantly pull back on the foods that your baby shouldn't be having or your child shouldn't be having. So that's your processed carbs. You mentioned sugars. What you didn't mention, but I know you and I are on the same page, is fruit juice, which babies can fill up on. 100%. Removing that, watching how much milk they're having, so that the whole appetite's not been taken up by that. So the first thing is to get to remove. What is standing in the way of them actually going for something that's healthy? The second stage, because that could then end up with them eating very little and mom in a very, in a stage of absolute fear, is to pop in the supplementation once at night, N- not in the middle of the night, but once at bedtime only. And that just means that when you, if your baby, as they're transitioning from um, having all these, you know, kind of calorie rich, nutrient poor foods, and so you feel like they're eating nothing, you can know at the back of your mind, it doesn't matter. We're going to give them a, a little supplementation bottle in the evening and so and so we rely on that we lean on that a little bit as we remove all of the all the all the no foods and then you move into phase three, which is the rehabilitation, which is giving them good, wholesome foods. They will now have an appetite watching the what, where, and when, and not the how much. And so all of those kind of tips that Kath gave in the last part of what she spoke about, you then move on to. And if you do these, these kind of in parallel working together, the removal, the supplementation, and then the putting in place all the good habits, you will make slow, but slow sure transitions towards having a less picky eater.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really important, again, managing the expectations because sometimes kids just get tired of eating. So I've, I've developed an acronym that I use called SME, which basically stands for skill, motivation and endurance. And a child needs to have a skill and which takes time to develop. they then need to be motivated. So why why would they want to eat? What would draw them to eat? So it would be a happy environment, would be something on the plate that appeals to them. And then over time, they'll be able to build up their endurance. But if the skill is not 100% there, you can't expect them to be motivated long enough to build up that endurance. And, And that's really important. And so I often get moms come to me, for a consult because their child's not self-feeding and they're only like 12 months or months. Developmental feeding skills take a few years to really cement themselves. It takes mm. a lot of energy to eat. Feeding is like a 52-step process. And so your child needs to have the energy to be able to do that. And that's often why breakfast is the most wonderful meal of the day, even for the picky eater, because they've had a rest the whole night, And they've got all the energy, but by the end of the day, they've used up all their energy. And so now to sit up straight, to maneuver utensils, to put food in their mouth, even if you still feed it, it's a lot of chewing. And it might mean having something really easier to eat towards the end of the day. So again, what are your expectations? Do you want them to eat a full-on, colorful, sensory overload meal at the end of the day that's going to require lots of chewing, lots of skill? And when they are tired, that's going to be very demotivating and they're not going to be able to build up their feed and endurance. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important that you are able to, to give them their food realistically for their skill level that they're at and that they will
1: remain motivated. So over time, they will become have a better endurance to sit through a meal. That's brilliant, Kath. Kath, I've got a hundred more questions, which I'm not going to go through. Things like what to do when your baby's gagging with everything. What happens if your baby really won't eat anything at all? And what happens if your baby's losing weight? And I know that these plus a lot more questions are covered in depth in your Picky Eating course, which is going into the ParentSense app. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that course covers? Yeah. So on that course, we're going to
2: definitely be covering We've covered some very general things today, but we'll be covering all the the challenges from, from those type of things. It's going to be looking at the really challenging picky eater to the general picky eater to children that, like you say, won't eat anything at all, how to nutritionally rehab your child very accurately so you'll come away knowing how to do that and when to do that and when to stop doing that, when to pull the easy kind of supplements and to start really trusting your child for food as well as how do you engage with your child around mealtimes? How do you make meal times fun? It's easy to say make meal times fun, but how do you do this? How do you dialogue with them around, around food and different skills for different ages? What do they look like? What can you expect from your one-year-old versus your three-year-old versus your four-year-old? And then we'll have wonderful downloads that you'll be able to download and to use them to actually have a Thing in place that you can even get a friend together with and you can have some fun around food and some sense food for that child that's a bit more hesitant to maybe touch or try something new we always know you have to first be comfortable with the food outside of your body before you are ready to assimilate it in your body and we have a whole lot of exercises on the course that will enable your child to be able to do that
1: I'm super excited for that course, Kath. And as I mentioned earlier, if you use the voucher Kath Podcast, all capital letters 25, Kath Podcast 25, you'll receive a 25% discount off either of Kath's courses, the Weaning Sense course and the Picky Eating course. So Kath, thank you so much. As usual, just so much fabulous information, so many little tidbits of practical tips that mums can take away. So thank you for your time as always, Kath. Thanks, Meg. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.